The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Oh, we saw more new contract lows in spot corn and soybeans as well. The wheat markets tried to hang on during the session on Thursday. Cattle as well tried to hang on to strong gains, but ended up giving some of those back as we worked to the close on Thursday's session as well. We're going to talk about all of it here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. On the program, I'm Jesse Allen. Great to have you along for the conversation as we take a look at what's happening in the markets and issues impacting rural America. Coming up on the program today, again, uh, more downward pressure here in the grain and oil seed seen on Thursday. We're going to talk about it. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing joins us for market analysis coming up here in uh, starting at segment three today. So looking forward to that conversation with Brian. Also coming up here on the program today in segment two, we're going to learn more about a new collaboration between the Swine Health Information Center and the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, looking at Japanese encephalitis virus and looking for research to help enhance U.S. prevention. We're going to talk about JEV and get an update on some other infectious diseases to watch around the world with our swine herds. Lisa Becton, Dr. Lisa Becton, Associate Director of the Swine Health Information Center, is going to join us for a conversation coming up here in segment two on today's show. Also, uh, breaking news out on Thursday. It's been rumored throughout much of the week, and the EPA confirming it was approving a petition by eight Midwest governors to approve the sale of E15 gasoline year-round. However, as was earlier rumored, EPA delaying the implementation until 2025. Now, it was nearly two years ago that the governors of Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin used their authority under the Clean Air Act to petition the EPA for the removal of the one PSI volatility waiver for E10, which would help pave the way for use of E15 year-round in those states. Now, by law, EPA had 90 days to approve the petition, but it has taken until now to get the petition approved. And again, they are delaying the implementation until 2025. So mixed reaction coming out from the ethanol industry. Renewable Fuels Association President and CEO Jeff Cooper says that, quote, while we are pleased to see EPA's finally approved year-round E15 in these eight states, we are extremely disappointed by the agency's needless decision to delay implementation until 2025. It's helpful to finally have some certainty about 2025 and beyond, but what happens this summer? Now, Growth Energy CEO Emily Score saying, quote, we commend EPA for finalizing its rule, and we thank the eight Midwestern governors who have now successfully secured a future for year-round E15 in their states. While this is great news, drivers will need a solution for this summer to minimize disruptions and make sure they have the same access to E15 that they've had for the past five summers, end quote. So again, EPA announcing they've approved the Midwest governor's petition, but delaying implementation until 2025. So a lot of things to watch here. Could it have some impacts on the markets? We'll have to see. First up here on the program as well, talking markets. Let's get some analysis from Arlen Suderman with Stonex from t- our midday commentary on Thursday, starting with Arlen's thoughts in the grain trade. 
really ample supplies of both corn and soybeans right now, much of it in the farmer's hands. The farmers undersold in both Brazil and in the United States looking for a rally, and that rally simply not coming. We continue to erode lower. We're building near record large short or sold positions by managed money in these markets. Um, that creates a little bit of concern for end users and for those holding those positions, but so far, not enough to convince them to change direction. The exception may be wheat, where a new three-year lows for spot contracts for corn and soybeans. Wheat, we've been trying to bounce. We've done this before. Uh, one of these times, it's going to stick. Uh, we're still seeing Russia push their prices lower, so I'm not optimistic right now. Uh, but wheat had a good finish to the day yesterday, so we're seeing some follow-through buying of, of end-user buying as well as commercial uh, speculative short covering. Uh, but even that, just modest gains on the day so far. I know watching some of the outside markets as well here this week, getting a bit of a rally in the stocks here today. Crude oil up a little bit as well. Any notes for us in some of those outside markets? Yeah, we had pressure in the stock market uh, through yesterday uh, because of concerns about how NVIDIA's earnings report might uh, turn out. Uh, NVIDIA is really kind of the poster child company for the artificial intelligence industry, which uh stock market has put a lot of money into the tech sector based on expectations that AI will really take us somewhere. And so then they grew nervous what NVIDIA's earnings report would like. It was a fantastic earnings report. And so we're seeing that enthusiasm come back to the stock market today. Um, and uh, so we're pushing higher. Also, existing home sales came in hotter than expected as well, which may keep those inflationary pressures in place. Manufacturing data also coming in a little better than expected. How about over in livestock? Uh, complete opposite of what's going on in the grains right now. Some really good triple-digit gains being seen throughout cattle and hog futures. We've got that cattle on feed report coming out on Friday, of course. We've talked about that, but Overall, pretty solid Thursday so far in the protein sector, Arlen. Yeah, the cattle and feed report expected to show January placements down 12.7% from year-ago levels. But it's a wide range of guesses. That's an average of a wide range of numbers. And so the opportunities for a surprise are significantly there. The worries among the speculative traders is, is if there's a surprise, it might be a bullish surprise, so everyone's afraid to be short. Expectations for steady to firm cash this week, nothing really unfolding yet. In the hog market, we're seeing a bounce back in product cash market really holding in there strong. Uh, you really have to be uh, feel good about this. We're seeing the funds come back into the market now and building some ownership. At the same time, you look at some of those summer contracts and they're getting up there close to that $100 mark. And when you compare that to where feed prices are for both corn and soy meal making new lows, suddenly hog producers have an opportunity to lock in some profitable margins. So funds are buying and uh, producers are hedging at these price levels. And again, commentary there with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for our midday commentary on the day Thursday. That uh, commentary as well coming ahead of that EPA announcement on E15 out uh, around the midday hour on Thursday. Just 
really just after we talked to Arlen. So it'll uh, be interesting to see if that E15 announcement has any sort of impact in the markets. Uh, it might be something that we bring up and discuss with Brian Doherty here coming up later in the show as well today. Uh, so again, uh, watching overall the grain trade, uh, just uh, kind of pushing lower some of those new contract lows. It's a, it's a tough environment right now for a lot of producers. We're going to get some perspectives and thoughts from uh, Brian Doherty coming up here in just a little bit. Before that, though, again, uh, we want to talk about Japanese encephalitis virus, JEV, and a new partnership that is out there between SHIC, the Swine Health Information Center, and FFAR, the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. They are working together. They are funding a $1 million research program to enhance U.S. prevention, preparedness, and response capabilities for JEV. We're going to talk about that and also get an update on some of the other uh, swine diseases that are out there, things like African swine fever, etc., Dr. Lisa Becton, Associate Director for the Swine Health Information Center, will join us next for a conversation back here on Market Talk on the way right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back here to Market Talk. Well, just a few weeks ago, the Swine Health Information Center and the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research have announced a partnership to fund a $1 million research program to enhance U.S. prevention, preparedness, and response capabilities for Japanese encephalitis virus, a transboundary disease risk for U.S. introduction into our swine herds. Here to tell us more about that collaboration, talk about JEV and other swine diseases that we're keeping an eye on. Associate Director for the Swine Health Information Center, Dr. Lisa Beckett is with us. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Hope you're doing well. Ah, thank you for the invitation. And yeah, I'm really excited about this new research collaboration. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. I know in the past I have talked with folks at Schick about JEV and its spread throughout the world. And it's uh, one of those emerging diseases that we definitely need to keep our eyes on and keep a close eye on it here, especially for our U.S. producers. So talk about this collaboration and some of the things that Schick and FFAR is looking for uh, with this collaboration and partnership. Sure. You know, this has been at least a year in the making just because Schick has been actively involved in both global monitoring for disease threats as well as visiting with other veterinarians to try to understand outbreaks that occur in other places in the world. And so back in 2022, there was a new outbreak of Japanese encephalitis in Australia, and it was concerning because it was in a new region and spread relatively rapidly throughout the country. And so through 
Schick's Global Monitoring, we really looked at that as a current swine disease threat, an emerging threat of swine. And so wanted to really understand more what was going on, what are the different interventions we have, and how do we just get better prepared in the event this virus should hit our shores? Well, and thinking of JEV, maybe we should take a little step back as well for producers who may not be entirely aware of how JEV spreads. I believe it's through a bite from mosquitoes is one of the main pathways, isn't it? That's correct. Uh, JEV is a vector-borne disease, and what that means is it's spread by biting insects, and in this instance, the Culex mosquito. And so swine can be infected and are affected by the virus, but it can also infect humans and different water birds. And so it's something that we're really concerned about because of that zoonotic potential or that potential to infect both pigs and people. And so the clinical signs that you see after JEV infection really focus on breeding animals, so our sows and our boars, and you'll typically see reproductive failure, and that can be characterized by an increase in stillborns, in mummies, in baby pigs that are born weak, in addition to mortality in baby pigs. And that's on the female side, but we can also see impacts on the boar side by reduced fertility and direct impact on uh, development and production of sperm. So it can be a pretty damaging disease. Yeah, it can definitely can be a, a very impactful with our swine herds. And you know, back to the collaboration uh, between Schick and FFAR. I know you guys are are doing your work, of course, to uh, look at JEV and ways to stop its spread. But you know, part of this uh, collaboration is you're inviting qualified researchers uh, from outside your organizations as well to help look at JEV and, and bring forth some of their own research and funding some of that research. That's kind of what's at the heart of this collaboration, right, Lisa? That is correct. You know, we've had past experiences with Foundation for Food and Agriculture on our Wean to Harvest program. And the benefits of having this collaboration is ex expanding our reach, both with researchers that may or may not already work in the swine sphere, and then also having FAR have access to our production and producer resources. And so it's a great collaborative between our two organizations with joint funding. And so we're taking advantage of the collective experience, expertise, and, and reach that both organizations have to help solicit proposals. And so I think this is really exciting time, and, and I think we're going to see really good response to this call. Well, I know that there is a deadline for proposal submission as well. I believe it's coming up mid-April, right, Lisa? And folks can learn more and, and uh, get more details at swinehealth.org, can't they? That's correct. The deadline is April 15th, but one new thing that we're doing, and that's occurring this week on February 22nd, is having a joint webinar with Schick and FAR because um, experience in the past, FAR has seen this has really helped submitters understand what the proposal is, what are the details of submissions, and how best to submit the proposal. And so that's tying in with the deadline, and that can also be found at swinehealth.org under the research tab. 
But this is going to be a really nice way to just get everybody together at once and go over what we're looking for, our deadlines, the, f- the funding allowable, and a lot of other questions. Plus, we're hoping that this may spark even further collaborations with investigators, not only in the U.S., but across the world. Well, again, deadlines for proposals coming up April 15th, and you can get more details at swinehealth.org. We're talking with Dr. Lisa Becton from the Swine Health Information Center. Lisa, outside of JEV, there's other diseases, emerging diseases in our swine herds that we're watching around the world, of course. Schick is always at the forefront of that. I think about issues with PERS or, of course, watching African swine fever spread in other parts of the world. Any uh, any general updates for us on some of those other diseases that we have to keep an eye on right now? We do a lot of disease monitoring really to try to identify as rapidly as possible emerging disease threats in swine herds. And so part of that and part of Schick's mission to evaluate and and understand these emerging threats, we do both domestic monitoring for for domestic diseases of swine here in the U.S., but also global monitoring. And you had mentioned African swine fever, and through our global monitoring, we continue to see that ASF really is one of the predominant foreign animal diseases of swine that's really going through Europe in different fashions, both affecting commercial farms, but also affecting uh, feral swine, which makes its control very difficult. Um, But also on the domestic disease side, we have a couple of different reports that we monitor and once a week is our swine disease reporting system that looks at and reviews what are different domestic diseases of swine, such as PERS, mycoplasma, influenza, etc. And that's uh, once a month report, and then also looking at our monitoring report through the um, MSHIMP program at University of Minnesota, which also monitors domestic diseases, predominantly in swine herds. And so we've got two different things going on for domestics, but this time of year, PERS is active, um, and we are monitoring that of what activity is going on, both from a clinical case submission and just overall trends. So Unfortunately, PERS is still out there and still causing producers a lot of challenges. And so that's really important why we have to continue to monitor these things. Well, we will continue to watch the work that you guys do there at the Swine Health Information Center. And folks can learn more online, swinehealth.org. With that, Dr. Lisa Becton, Associate Director for the Swine Health Information Center. Lisa, thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. All right. Once again, Dr. Lisa Becton there with the Swine Health Information Center joining us here on Market Talk. Good to catch up with her and uh, learn more about that collaboration and talk JEV, Japanese encephalitis virus and more. One other note here real quick before we uh, get to our break. The annual chickens and eggs report from USDA shows the U.S. December 1 chicken inventory up 1% from a year ago and egg production down slightly. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson says the report comes as nearly all protein sectors, including beef, pork, and lamb, are forecasted for smaller inventories for 2024 and beyond. And if we take a look at some of USDA census data, it's important to think about this because we have a 6.9% decline in the number of farms. And as we look at this, poultry is the one sector that has some forecasted growth, but it still faces a lot of headwinds like high pass 
path avian influenza. Despite the slowdown in HPAI, there were still 11.4 million birds affected in December and a little over 2 million birds in January. And Nelson says the report forecasts increased production in 2024. Total table egg production is forecasted to be about 96 billion eggs. Now, this is up 1.4% from 23. So seeing a little bit of a production increase for the upcoming year. Prices are projected to average $1.83 a dozen. This is actually down about 10 cents. The December 1st chicken inventory, excluding commercial broilers, was $523 million. This is up about 1%. So there's where we kind of see some of that growth. And Nelson says the report, along with data from the 2022 Census of Agriculture, highlights the importance of the next farm bill. The farm bill is a safety net that helps remove some of that risk. It keeps our farmers farming and continuing to the next generation. When we are facing the decrease in the number of farms and the increasing average age of a farmer, this safety net is imperative to not just secure food for our nation and world, but to secure an affordable food supply. Keeping our farmers farming ultimately results in better prices for our consumers at the grocery store. And again, that's American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at Thursday's market action. We're going to have a conversation with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing. He joins us next here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at the market action that we saw on Thursday, I got to say, I'm, I, it's getting a little old saying new contract lows in spot corn, but we saw that happen again on Thursday and just more weight on these grain markets, soybeans hitting some lows as well. Wheat did its best to hang on, but overall the downtrend continues, it seems, in the grains, mixed action and livestock Let's talk about it. Let's put some perspective on where things stand. Joining us for a conversation, happy to have Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, join us here today. Brian, good to talk with you again this week. And uh, as I said, it's it's not fun to talk about contract lows here in this grain market. But, uh, you know, alas, here we are again on Thursday with with more new lows seen in the in the corn market especially. You bet. And, you know, just just kind of looking at this, you know, look at the price and you kind of gulp. But I think almost anybody who takes a look at supply and demand tables would say, well, that doesn't surprise me. But when you would add on to the end of the equation, this has happened in, in mid-February, not August, <laughs> when you see a big crop at hand. Uh, so is the market just way over its skis or what's going on? And I think I think what's going on the last leg down here uh, really is just this realization that farmers have had a lot of unpriced corn that needs to move and a lot of basis contracts they need to make decisions on. 
And I know just from my end, if we're any litmus test, a lot of calls from people that uh, have really good questions. We maybe haven't talked to in a while or never talked to them. They call and say, hey, I, I need some guidance here. A um, lot of unpriced corn. It's just the way that it panned out, but it does go back to maybe a year ago at this time and just kind of reminding uh, you know, our, our listeners, our customers that when the market does offer value, let's make sure and concentrate on that, not necessarily the price, because price last year at this time, it was good relative to history. It was poor relative to the old crop. It kind of felt like you were getting taken advantage of, but it may have still been a good point to have some contracts locked in or what I would have done uh, and recommended was a pretty aggressive put buying for the new crop, either in the December or March puts. Now I know we're past December and the March puts went off in February, but there could have been rolls or things in there. So anyway, bottom line is, is there's just a lot of corn that needs to be priced. There's not enough weather yet in South America to have impact. I was a bit surprised at beans today. I thought we might get some push on what I felt was the latest weather forecast and I think looked pretty warm and dry mm -hmm. uh, in, in more of the central regions of Brazil, central, northwest regions, and then maybe the northeast regions of Argentina. And the market looked like that was going to happen. And the wheat had a good run. And then they all, it, they gave it up again. So again, this, well, our algorithms or managed money or just people saying, I'm going to sell every green on the screen until something tells me otherwise. But again, corn, new contract lows, soybeans closing in in those last May, May lows from a year ago. Well, to your point, I, I know it's kind of that time of the month too, with a lot of those basis contracts that folks are just they're they're forced to make a decision here. It, it's it's either to your point, take it to town. We have nice weather, you know, get some cash flow for rent or equipment payments, things like that, or look to roll it. But it's you, you kind of have to just you you have to make a decision. It's a tough decision. But you kind of have to make a decision in this window, don't you, Brian? Well, I think I think you do. You got to decide if you're going to keep rolling and rolling into that carry. And um, you know, I think looming larger on some some you know tr uh, producers' minds that they've rolled from you know several times now. If they've taken percentages of that money up front, how close is that getting? Where they may owe the elevator, or the elevator is saying, "Hey, you need to liquidate, otherwise you're going to have to pay us." Uh, so we started hearing some chatter of that today. I don't want to sound like that's the case across the board or a case at all, but I, I was hearing some chatter today. And gosh, when you drop as much as the contracts have, if you take a look at, at March corn 406 today, um, and let's just say you rolled in at, at the end of December at 481, well, that's 75 cents down. That's a, that's a big percentage change in that value. Uh, in fact, that'd be 75 divided by, uh, uh, what price did I say here? Uh, just 75 divided by 480. Um, oh, it's actually a little bit higher price. I'll go uh, mm -hmm. 75 divided by 481. Yeah, you're looking at 15.6% uh, down in just uh, six weeks, six or eight weeks. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, so anyway, the point of it is the, the money's still short. The funds are still short. They're near record short. They don't typically V bottom out of that. That means that if they're sort of stay strongly short, unfortunately, it's usually a, a couple of three month window. Can the wheat markets potentially maybe help lead us out of the doldrums here, Brian? I mean, wheat's been performed fairly well in the face of everything this week. I just wonder if 
that can maybe be a canary in the coal mine of sorts. What do you think? Well, if, if you look at the July Chicago wheat contract, for example, that's a new crop contract. Uh, a couple of days ago, posted a very, very impressive bullish key reversal at the bottom of the market. So that just means prices uh, on the 20th went into new contract lows and finished the day much stronger, but more importantly, took out the previous day's range and closed higher. And that's a good signal. Kind of did nothing yesterday, came back today into the close, finished a little higher. So you might be seeing some signal there. That's probably the best bullish key reversal I've seen in the wheat for, you'd have to go back for a long time before I've seen that pronounced. And when they get pronounced like that toward the bottom, you'd want to believe that, that that's signaling something that went from negativity to really bullish all in one session and a good strong close. Um, but it's the follow through that matters. So today it really looked impressive this morning, but gave that up. Uh, still finished a little positive, but um, uh, again, it's just sort of that wet blanket of negativity. When you see green sell, that's how the mindset has been in the marketplace. But I think the wheat, the thing to watch here in wheat is probably India. India is mm. a, a, a very large grower of wheat. Uh, they've had become an exporter in recent years. Their internal supplies are getting tighter and tighter. And now they're headed toward a window of critical time. And I don't know a lot about India, India's wheat growing capability, but I, from what I've learned and seen over time, it is a crop that can do very well or be very susceptible to weather developments and too much rain and disease and things like that. So some really critical time coming ahead for the for the Indian wheat crop. I know maybe something favorable for corn, uh, ethanol production numbers. So let's see, inventory fell 308,000 barrels on the weekend of February 16th. Production was up 1,000 barrels to 1.084 million. So maybe some supportive numbers there, Brian. But then two, uh, as was rumored all week long, EPA approved that Midwest governor's petition for E15 on Thursday, but delaying implementation to 2025. I guess I don't know how much that's going to have an impact on the corn market per se, but again, some of that ethanol news, maybe, you know, good here, maybe a little neutral to bad here. I guess I don't know how much that could impact the corn market right now, Brian. Yeah, it, it could impact it in the longer run significantly. We're talking the ethanol. So, so you're starting to see some of those dots that you can kind of connect or want to connect in the long run. And the big picture perspective that when you connect those, you're going to see eventually some some of those dots come together. So I'm not only thinking about the ethanol, but today we saw a sale of Milo to China. Mm. Now that's interesting because it's a, a competitor to corn. And so China's buying something that might be cheap. Maybe they're starting to send a signal. Um, um, and uh, I'm inclined to think that uh, the markets move on momentum. So right now you just don't have any momentum. Uh, um, uh, and when I look at the big picture, once we start gaining momentum, then all of these things kind of come back into the fold. And we talk about, well, China started buying Milo and, and the ethanol number will be up. The corn grinders up in ethanol. Uh, 2025 looks better for, for uh, bioenergy. Um, it, 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 you know, here's an interesting thing too. Now, I, I, I'm just, this, it's just, just a, a sort of observation, but, you know, the electric vehicle in the last 
30 to 60 days to me doesn't seem to have gotten the best uh, of reviews. There's massive recalls and continued talk about uh, uh, the, the, the making of the energy uh, and the, the precious metals from China and uh, a dealership in, uh, I, saw, I saw on TV, a dealership owner, uh, you know, they're just not selling the trucks, right? The F-150 mm-hmm. trucks and Ford's shutting down. So ultimately, you know, there might be quite a bit more room to see um, higher energy blends from organic or from corn to really have have impact in the next five to 10 years than I think the market was expecting six months ago. It seemed to be on a one-track mind that everybody has to go battery and batteries starting to get some some pushback, I think, in a pretty big way. Well, once again, we're having a conversation here today with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor and VP of Brokerage Solutions at Total Farm Marketing. And we're going to continue our convo coming up here after the break. I want to get uh, Brian's thoughts on the livestock and the dairy trade as well. Seeing some green in dairy here on the day Thursday. Some of the final numbers on Thursday session, March corn was down 5 at 4.06. July corn down five, four thirty and three quarters. December new crop corn four lower, four fifty-three and a quarter. March beans thirteen lower, eleven forty-seven and three quarters. July down thirteen and a quarter, eleven sixty and three quarters. And new crop November beans were down ten to three quarters at eleven thirty-five. Soybean meal for March down seven ten a ton, three thirty-four ninety. March bean oil down sixty-two points, forty-four twenty-one. March Chicago wheat unchanged at 583 and a quarter. July two higher at 580. March Kansas City wheat down three and a quarter, 574. July KC wheat comes down two at 566. Spring wheat March eight lower, 651 and a quarter. July down five at 659 and three quarters in spring wheat. Meantime, in the livestock trade, April hogs 122 higher at 87.20, May up 97 at 90.32, March feeder cattle up 70, 252.05, April up 77, 256.70, and live cattle February down 47, 183.50, April down 115, 186.55. Back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We're joined today by Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing here on the program. Brian, I want to jump over to Livestock just to get some thoughts from you there quick before we kind of wrap everything up here. Uh, Cattle and hogs. You know, cattle came off the highs a little bit on the day Thursday, but still a a fairly decent day in cattle and hog trade. I know uh, we got a cattle on feed report coming up here Friday afternoon. Feels like the trade really kind of squaring up positions ahead of that report. Would you agree there, Brian? I'd agree with that because it depends when you looked at the cattle market this morning. Boy, it looks strong. And then all some of the clothes, whoa, what happened there? I, I just think, you know, any good bull market, what'll happen, it'll have days where it's up like that. And all of a sudden it just it just runs out of buyers. And and so the sellers come in or it starts to trip sell stop orders and in front of a cattle on feed report that that 
is certainly to be expected. Uh, I think also expected though is the cattle on feed report is going to again, uh, it's not like a broken record, but again, confirm tight placements, tight inventory numbers, the herd is small. That thing isn't gonna magically change overnight. And, and there's gotta be a point here where the, you know, the producers decide, you know what, corn's cheap enough on, and beef's high, and I'm, I'm going to start holding heifers back in a more aggressive fashion. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think we can count on the dairy industry to supply the beef, uh, even though it's a good supplement. Uh, the the uh, in in the newer sort of mindset of, of breeding for beef um, that works when when prices are high, um, which they are now. So so ultimately, though, the herd is limited. I wouldn't read too much into today. Uh, again, we look for signals near top. I don't know if this was pronounced enough. Uh, I was just looking at some of the contracts here, but I, 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 I'd recommend puts. We've had enough recovery to do that, but I like the way the charts look. I like the way the feeder charts look. Um, but today was was certainly a day to keep us sober on how bullish to be in the cattle market. Yeah, good good thoughts on that. How about the dairy trade? You know, speaking of trying to find some green on the screen, uh, I'm seeing a little bit there. Uh, yeah. Talk to me what you're seeing right now across dairy futures, Brian. Yeah, so so you did see some bump. So I just look at the products. Some bump in the cheese and, and butter, uh, but blocks were down today, penny and a half. Uh, milk production report came out yesterday. Some downward revisions um, into the December and then the January winter uh, or January month. And then uh, sort of a confirmation that the herd just isn't growing. It's shrinking a little bit. Now, the report itself on the surface, when I looked at it, I thought, well, it's not bearish. I don't know if it's bullish, but the market seemed to think it was today. They didn't so much remember the reports out at two in the afternoon and the dairy market's open. So the dairy market can trade that report. It didn't really show as much yesterday. But yeah, 49 higher is the last trade right now on, on April Mel. Gives a little new life into that contract, 1769. It does put it right where it was just about a week ago. And it's still below where it was about 10 days ago. But it's also now well off the low from the last five or six sessions as well. So starting to show a little strength. Unfortunately, I can't get myself all you know, bowled up on the milk industry. The cow herd is still there. It's flatlined out. Production's more or less flatlined out, but it's not retreating. Uh, 24 states, so there's just enough supply, I think, to keep rallies in check. And with cheap corn, I call it cheap now because it's below the cost of production. Um, you know, the dairies have a good thing going on the feed side. Not only cheap, but it's available, and and they've got their, they've got both hands on the steering wheel there. Well, Brian, I kind of want to leave this uh, open-ended here to kind of wrap up today. Uh, you're always good kind of giving us that thousand-foot view and some common sense here with these markets. And to your point earlier, you're you're fielding a lot of calls, a lot of conversations right now, some uh, some tough conversations to have really across the, the commodity livestock sector in a lot of different markets here. So what would you tell folks? What would you remind them of here in this window about – you know, taking a look at their marketing plan and making some of these tough calls right now. What would you say to folks, Brian? Well, I, I think just re one, revisit your your strategy and your plan. Uh, and if you didn't have one, let's start to develop one. Because I think I think a lot of people, the plan was kind of in grains. Well, let's just store and see what happens. Because, you know, we've had three, four years that if you were patient, you got some good rallies. Didn't get that. I think I might have mentioned this last week. If not, I'll mention again. But also just 
remind ourselves the difference between value and price. Right now, the price of cattle is lower than where it was a couple of months ago, but the value is really strong and needs to be defended. So think in the terms of what the value of the market is relative to, to what that means to you rather than what the price relative to what the former price was or where price you know you think it could go to. And then start building some strategy around that. Uh, ultimately, in the grain markets, if you were holding corn 15, 20, 30 days ago, uh, the market's down now. Does that change your mindset to say, I'm going to give up and I'm going to be done? That, that isn't a right or wrong, but if, if that's the case, well, then you, you sell. But if you're thinking, you know, as, as it was 20 or 30 days ago, hmm, you know, we're just down lower. Make sure if you sell this because you need to for whatever your reasons, that when you do that, I would be pretty just sensualist. I would then go back in on paper and likely buy a call. I know you're buying carry, but you're buying a fixed risk with the mindset that if the markets start to turn, a rising tide is going to lift all boats. And now you're back in an ownership position there. I don't want to give anybody false hope here. We've got some big inventories and the market's really factored it in. But I think we're getting close to a low in corn, not sure on beans. I think we're close, if not already, in wheat. And we'll just kind of leave it at that and start building strategy around that. Good stuff, Brian. And if folks want to reach out to you and ask questions, I know a few different ways to contact you there at Total Farm Marketing, phone, email, website. How can people reach out to you, Brian? I would first ask for a phone call, uh, 800-334-9779, Jesse. And then I would ask for an email, Brian with a Y, uh, at totalfarmmarketing.com or connect with us uh, through our website, uh, totalfarmmarketing.com. And um, we'd love to talk to you there. Uh, but uh, yeah, don't hesitate to give us a call. Brian, thanks for the time. Appreciate you joining us on Market Talk. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. My pleasure. Thank you. And once again, Brian Doherty there with Total Farm Marketing. Always good to talk with him. Thanks for him joining us and uh, giving us some perspective here on these markets as more contract lows hitting corn, beans getting down there as well. Just a, a tough environment to take a look at. Going to have to have a lot of tough conversations here uh, for your marketing plan, it feels like, in the next uh, few weeks ahead or a few days ahead for that matter. All right, with that, we are out of time. We're going to sign off here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.